Hey everybody and welcome to episode 79 of the Revive Yourself podcast. Here we go. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Have you got a health issue that just won't go away no matter what you try? Then welcome to the Revive Yourself podcast, where we reveal the secrets to long-lasting health by getting to the root cause of problems that no one else is talking about. So you can have more energy, clear skin, healthier hair, a leaner physique, more confidence, and most importantly, do the things you love and live the life you deserve. Here's your host, Ryan Martin. So welcome back to the Revive Yourself podcast, guys and girls. Being getting, um, yeah, lots been going on. Got some great feedback from the interview we did with Emma Lane and actually getting her back on in December, which is going to be phenomenal. Lots of people uh, reaching out to me talking about that one about parasites and then also about the heavy metals, about the Wi Fi, about how it's stopping their brain from cleaning at night. Really important to get your Wi Fi off at night, guys and girls. Extremely important. So, Emma's going to be, um, yeah back on the show uh, and actually today's guest we've got another uh check um coach level four coach matt walden who's uh comes highly recommended it was actually a fantastic conversation i had with matt a really nice guy same as same as uh all of them really just just out there trying to help people uh, and we talk about a lot of different topics um just before we get into that guys just want to say uh, the revive yourself shop is imminent uh, having products on the site going to have um, lots of top quality products just the basics um, going to try and get at least 30 to, to 30 to 50 top quality products on there things from your green drinks your probiotics going to be on there um, I'm not going to try and get if, it, if we if I get well, I've turned down lots of sponsorships in the past from companies I have no interest in working with um, and so instead of trying to put together a nice shop for you all the high quality products that can get you um Obviously, very hard for me to be sponsored by one company when I know that there's different companies who different quality products. If we do get a higher, higher quality one um, that I can back, then something we would do. But for now, I'm going to be putting out quality uh, options for you to go, and that will be our, our revive um, on our revive site shortly. Um, getting all the links and everything sorted out. Going to have a gut restore. Um, bundle there as well as a, just a normal um, healthy bundle going to have lots of different options going to actually be looking into the water filtration systems for you guys as well as infrared saunas going to have some different options there so you can you know um, you get to revive seal of approval if it's up there um, also uh, still going strong with a free four-day mini course, guys and girls. Um, so you any coming with a chronic condition, get them to go over to www.reviveyourself.co. They can sign up for that there. And um, actually, at the moment, um, pretty much full with my one-to-one clients. So uh, um, I think I've got some spaces opening up in September. So if you do want to get booked in, uh, then you can go to www.reviveyourself.co, contact and fill out the, the message, the form, and um, we can see if we can get you on the phone and talk about how we can help you. Uh, but that will be in September. Otherwise, guys, and let's get on to Matt. Matt's um, a phenomenal health coach. He's been doing this for uh, a long time. He's a level four practitioner, as I mentioned before, with the Czech Institute. He's one of their master coaches, um, master coaches, I should say. Um, and he's he's big into the spiritual side of things, energetic side of things as well. But he's also 
one of the things to talk about a lot here is about the body, um, its structural balance. He's worked with uh, lots of people through injuries, etc. Um, and just overall health, you know, uh, how the body affects it, different neural pathways, etc. Uh, and how that affects different injuries. So without further ado, here's Matt. Uh, to be fair, we go into a lot of different topics that like we always do because these top check coaches so much you know everything uh, affects everything so without further ado here's matt enjoy and i'll see you on the other side so guys welcome to episode 79 of the revive Hill podcast today we have matt walden in um having a little chat with us he's uh, another czech practitioner a level four um and you're actually based in surrey right matt that's right yeah 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 based in uh, in leatherhead and surrey leatherhead and surrey a nice part of the world surrey um, yeah, yeah. It's basically opposite from where I am. So if you imagine the M20, if people that are listening, they know, they know the M25, the biggest parking lot in the in the world. Uh, it's a circle. Me and Matt are probably uh, yeah opposite ends of the spectrum, but things similar. It's, it's not, nice it. suburbia, quite leafy around Leatherhead, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you've got sort of you go north, you're heading into suburbia, and you go south, you're heading into the hills and uh, the forest. So it's it's pretty good. In a place to to be really yeah it's nice it's best not, of both, both yeah, it's not too far from Charterhouse because I played, played Charterhouse School a couple of times is it Charterhouse do you know Charterhouse School sorry Charterhouse School Charterhouse Charterhouse um, yeah it's not far yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's That's nice right. it's nice around there so yeah. so Matthew welcome to the show as I said before you're a Czech petitioner I've been talking to a lot of uh, well it's funny as I mentioned on, on the um, on our show quite a few times I find Czech practitioners to be the people I can have uh, such a wide array of conversations with around health, and you seem to be on on a level, and it's it seems to uh, be people I click with very easily because uh, it's just like you just understand what's going on. And uh, I've had Warren on a few times, had Paul on himself, and um, last week's show I had Emma Lane on. Um, oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. And um, it's great conversation, talking a lot about parasites, and we talked a lot about Wi-Fi and, and things like that as mm-hmm. well, and aluminium. So. There's some people out there, Matt. I mean, how did how did how was your journey into the world of natural health? What what what? I don't know if you had health problems yourself or what. What was your sort of path into it? Sure. Um, well, I think probably the um, the path. You know, if you want the full story, it was that I, I was always uh, into sport and uh, you know a good footballer. Um, played at a pretty decent level at a young age. Um, and you know obviously like a lot of young kids got excited they want to be a professional footballer Mm -hmm. and um by the age of about 13 uh you know i played alongside players that were playing for spurs or chelsea or whatever uh in my sort of local team in the area representative team and i didn't get spotted and uh and so i kind of got to the point i was thinking uh you know maybe maybe this just isn't going to happen so what would be another career path I could go down um, where I could be involved with professional football? And I thought, well, maybe, you know, to be the physio or something along those lines. And um, so I kind of took my GCSEs and my A-levels with a view to um, potentially becoming a physio uh, or an osteopath. Um, And the reason I was interested in osteopathy was that my dad always went to an osteopath for a bad back that he had and always got great results. And, um, it never really struck me that that would be something that I might be interested in until I started to make the connection potentially between that and professional football. Um, and, uh, and then when I started to look into the different colleges and the different approaches, what I found was that actually the osteopathy looked a bit more intriguing to me than, uh, than the physio. So I went down that path and, and, uh, so I studied osteopathy 
actually in naturopathy as well between 93 and 97. So that was kind of straight from school um, into the training there. Um, and uh, did my de de degree um, thesis, you know, the research study on professional footballers, hoping that it might get me a, a foot in the door somewhere, and it, and it didn't. So um, then I uh, actually went to New Zealand for a year. And when I was in New Zealand, that was where I first met Paul. So I first saw Paul oh, really? uh, first year after I graduated, okay. um, which was 1997. Um, and so I, it was quite interesting, actually, because there was a there was a, a series of things that kind of coincided. Um, one was that actually in 1996, there's a journal called the Journal of Body Work and Movement Therapies, which I, I now write for. Um, and uh, it was released that year, 1996. And I was, I was really intrigued by it because a lot of the journals, they're quite hard work. You know, you read them and it's all statistics and methodologies and, you know, you re really have to get your head around it. Um, and it's, like I say, it's hard work to, to try and um, get excited about it, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's, hard, um, it's a hard read, right? Yeah, I mean. yeah that's it. That's it. Um, but this journal of body work and movement therapies was actually much more an interesting read because it seemed much more applied, you know, so the information that was in it seemed really applied. You could take it straight away and use it in the clinic. Right. And, um, what I noticed about the way Leon Chato, who had set the, the journal up, what he had tried to do was he was really trying to bring lots of different, um, uh, professions together. So it wasn't like the journal of osteopathy or the journal of chiropractic. It was the journal of body work and movement therapies. So it's, you know, all body workers from massage therapists to, to physios to, um, you know, acupressure, uh, therapists, whatever it might be. And then movement therapists as well. So, you know, personal trainers, strength conditioning coaches, Pilates instructors, etc. And what I noticed was that they would often do, um, a, uh, like a, they do like a case study in the journal and it might be something on, I don't know, someone with adductor strain and they sort of describe how this hockey player gets adductor strain and give a bit of a case history. And then they'd ask, um, so, you know, how would, how would the osteopath deal with it? And they'd have an osteopath write about how he handled that case. And then they use a chiropractor and then maybe a massage therapist and so on and so forth. And I'd be reading through it and I'd think, you know, that osteopath, I don't really rate what he's saying. That's not, that's not the way I deal with it at all. Um, and then I might read what the chiropractor had said and I might think, yeah, that, that's more like what I would do. And then I'd look at the massage therapist and I think, bloody hell, this, this guy is amazing. I could learn so much from this guy. He would, you know, if I wanted to choose it, he'd be the one that I go to. And so what it did was I think right at that point where you're just about, you're just about to qualify as an osteopath. So you kind of, um, about to join the brotherhood, if you like, of osteopathy. <laughs> and and so you're starting to be fed all these stories that, oh, well, physios aren't that great because they always use machines and chiropractors aren't that great because they do this. And, and, and you know, you get that kind of, um, uh, I guess, kind of almost segregation between the different professions, yeah. trying to find differences. Mm -hmm. um, but what this journal was doing was showing that actually I had more in common with the chiropractor that answered that, that uh, question and I could learn more from the, the massage therapist than anyone else. And so the reason I tell that story is that then, of course, I'm out in New Zealand, um, which is my first year post. I just lost you there, Matt. One second. Sorry, Matt, I just lost you there. I just lost you there. One second, Matt. My man, you just said, I uh, don't know what this guy okay. You said you you were out in New Zealand in 97 and you just, just put you there. I think I said I just just graduated um, yeah. and and you know saw this um, advert uh, for Paul Check speaking at the local rugby club. Okay, 
yeah and i had i had no idea who paul check was at the time so i just thought well i'll go and go and see who this guy is he seemed he seemed you know credible because he was working with the chicago bulls at the time so you think okay this guy must know his stuff um and um yeah so you know went along and was quite impressed but not you know not so impressed that i bought all of his videos or whatever at the time i just thought okay that that guy was good and i looked at the videos i thought they're a bit pricey you know i left it um but came back to the uk the next year and like i say the part of the reason i tell the story about the journal of body work path dismissed him out of hand because he's not got any qualifications right uh, and i think a lot of physios would dismiss him because paul has no qualifications so the, osteo- the, the, osteo- the osteopath dismissed him because he had no qualifications yeah, I, th- I think I think a lot of people who have got a degree would look at someone like Paul Check and go, "Well, he hasn't got even got a degree. How what can he teach me?" Right? But I think I was kind of fortunate that because I had, even though I was being indoctrinated into that way of thinking to some degree, um, the Journal of Body Work had really opened my eyes to the fact that actually, you know, it's not about the training; it's about the individual. You know, it's it's really not about the background I, training. I think, I think I just wanted to hit on that for such a people out there because it's. Uh, as Paul talks about himself, people are so blinded by by the, the, the letters behind people's name and everything like that, and and they don't even look at how the results someone gets before they even start condemning people or even look at the real backstory or anything. Like that. I think it's something that for me personally, having been in this nine, come back to ten years now, I learnt all my best stuff from people that didn't have a degree to start with, and the guy that I started from, my first mentor who basically saved my life in terms of my health. Yeah. I was like, how does this not guy know more than all the PhD specialist consultants that I've seen? And as I think it's just a big point to say to people, like, don't always just look at qualifications, <clears throat> look at the results people get, and if they're talking sense or not, right? I think yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, one of the challenges with, with uh, academia is that, of course, it leads you down um, tighter and tighter paths of specialism. And, you know, there's that, that phrase that Paul uses, I'm sure other people use, that you know more and more about less and less until eventually you know everything about nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that, you know, obviously it's a cliche, but there's actually quite a lot of truth in that. Oh, massive um, amount of truth to it. Yeah. Because, they, cause, oh, just talking about, like, um, it's like, for example, I had massive issues with, well, lots come out of it, but to start with my skin, and I went to see a dermatologist, and the amount of money I spent on him, Paying, paying him £250 a time to inject me with steroids all over my chest mm. and back and oral steroids and other things he's doing to me. I was, it, uh, and I was thinking, this guy's a skin specialist and mm. I haven't got the advanced degree that he has, but I can guarantee you um, the things I've done with people's skin, and probably you have, mm. has been like, I was just like, if I... If I saw him again, I, I don't know what I'd say to him. I'd be like, mm. you've done 12 years of, of study and... You don't understand that your skin's a reflection of your internal health and everything yeah. else going on, and um, and he's a specialist. And the th- it made, when I look back, at it, it made me ten times worse. And these are people that you know they go and study and they talk about the health, how to get healthy skin, and they and how bad the sun is for your skin. All these other things. And this is one thing we're talking about, as you say, and and it mm. just made me think that he knew, he didn't realise how important the sun was to the rest of your health, or yeah. or how how your internal health does reflect your skin and all the other mm. things that can your mental emotional state that can affect your skin your gut health that can affect all these other things you said that yeah. you need to and it's it's hard because I know in our in our and a lot of things people are doing nowadays as well Matt is that people like to say from marketing aspect have your niche have yes. your niche if you have your niche then you can like you get paid more for it but I'm I trapped in that because I do a lot of gut and, and gut health and, and skin mm. skin health but the fact is 
the way you hear anything is generally the way you hear everything. With, oh, yeah. few, with a few subtle differences. And so yeah. it's very hard. I don't, you don't want to be like the people like, well, of course this is right. But, you know, you, you can help everyone. And you probably do and you know it. That's why I don't want to interrupt you, but I just want to hammer that home for people that these specialists and certain people, you, there's so much that goes into your holistic view or so much that goes into health that that sometimes specialising can really take you down a path. And people don't get results and they think, well, I've seen the specialists, I've seen the best, yeah. nothing's happened, yeah. what can I do? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and that's that's one of the um, the sort of uh, impact psychologically with a lot of people is that they go and see perhaps the most expensive person or the person that um, you know has the most qualifications, like you say, the most letters off their name, and when that person doesn't help them, then then that's a real impact to them, you know. And sometimes some of the most complex patients that I've worked with um, get tremendous benefit from, for example, just going out and walking in the sun, maybe barefoot. Um, and that you know they're so fatigued and they're so unwell because they've been cooped up in their room for so long, getting you know stale air, no sunlight exposure. They're on their computer the whole time or in this electrically circuited house, you know. And I've had patients that you know just by making it a discipline that they get up, get out, get down to the local little bit of forest or whatever, stand barefoot, do some tai chi, and come back. And that can be enough to get someone to the next level where they actually have the energy to start thinking about diet or, uh, you know, emotion. The very simple things that in nature. Oh, did we, did we cut out again? Yeah, I was saying, but you said, but you said the mental, emotional health. You were saying, like, go down to do that, get into the next stage, the mental, emotional yeah. self. And uh, I don't know why, one minute it's got perfect signal and it's done that. But, it's, but what okay. you were saying was, was, yeah. was, was so true. I mean, getting people to yeah. the next stage, right? Getting there. I say to people a lot, well, I, probably your consults, uh, uh, you probably get exactly the same thing as what I do. People were saying, oh, I just want to get back to exercising again and, I've, and I'm, I'm not feeling well, I'm not doing this, not doing that. And it's like, you haven't even got enough energy to heal, let alone to exercise. So we have to get yeah. you to the state where your body's got an abundance of energy before we can yeah. even start to move there, right? That's right. And, you know, that's one of the things that we, you know, we teach in the Czech system and that Paul has always conveyed is that you should make sure that your exercise isn't part of the problem and that it's part of the solution, you know, because... Mm -hmm. and, and it is to some degree, but if your body's already too stressed then you're probably better to actually um, do some kind of working in, as Paul would say, as opposed to working out. So building energy as opposed to expending it. So things like Tai Chi or breathing disciplines or walking meditations or, you know, there's lots of different versions of, of ways to energize the body, um, but without fatiguing it like you would do if you went down to the gym or played a game of squash or something. Um, that can be beneficial, obviously, to do those things. But Quite often, it's just adding to the, an already overburdened system. It's because so. it's because people want to be lean and look at the magazines, so they think I'm going to do stuff that's going to help my metabolism. But when you tell people like that, your body's holding on to all this weight because it's in constant state of stress. Yes. When you yeah. do, so I've heard women the same like doing eating less, going to the gym four or five times a week. I said, look, do the complete opposite. I want you to just relax, go and do things like walking, Tai Chi. I want you mm -hmm. to eat this at the other. Like, I've dropped five, eight pounds, right? It's like, yeah. oh, of course, your body's relaxed, and so it yeah, yeah. And so, but it is, it is hard because of them everything that that society pushes on people, mm. right? To look a certain way and, and then realize, as you said, that it's weird because I, I am not actually a Czech practitioner, but I, I feel mm. like I. 
Um, if I did any one's courses, and I always recommend I've got them to get affiliate link with Paul because that he's it's weird that I come into this and the people I've spoken to, I mean, they might as well be check petitioners, is in the way they talk yeah. about things. And I found yeah. Paul on his work. Um, when I first heard about Paul, I thought, oh, who's this wacko who's not wearing man, who only wears man made fibers and all everything yeah. else. And then you get into it and you realize the more this, the more you know, the more he knows. But I was, I studied with Donna Gates, and I don't know Donna Gates. She's yeah, I recognize the name, but I can't, I can't. Sort of- it's, yeah, it's yeah. Like, it's a weird one. It's like when people don't know who Paul Check is for me. Donna Gates yeah. is one of the best people in the world, in my opinion, when it comes to gut health. She was one of okay. the first talked about stevia and stuff. Um, and yeah. there's a lot of other people that, that worked with, etc. But it was like it was basically like being a practitioner, pre- check practitioner, without being it. It's talking about obviously going on discovery walks, things like Qigong, Tai Chi, yeah. doing journaling, getting the mindset right. And so okay. for you, yeah. for you, when, so so you went and saw him, you went and saw him, so I interrupted your story, you went and saw him, yeah. you, you saw these things were expensive, but the osteopath didn't put much credence into him because he didn't have any degree. So what happened after that? Yeah, so, well, then I came back to the UK and uh, decided I'd do a master's degree so that I, again, hope, hopefully to open the door into professional football. Mm-hmm. So um, I did that from 98 to 2000, and this time I looked at um, hamstring strain in professional footballers for my research, and I thought I should look up Paul Check again just to see, you know, because he was a sports guy, and, you know, he's probably got some interesting takes on this. So um, I, it was the early days of the internet, so I, I managed to sort of locate him on the internet and sent an email to the Czech Institute, and they said, yeah, you know, buy the scientific back training course. So I thought, okay, I'll, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt. I'll buy it, buy the course, and see what it's got to to tell me. So you know, I'm watching this course, and um, of course, there's some useful stuff in there for for my research. But also, I was just thinking, this guy is applying information here that is just maybe you know five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ahead of the curve. And I was fairly confident that he was significantly ahead of the curve because. You know, you've got to bear in mind I'd done two degrees, so you know my bachelor's and then my master's in the last few years, three or four years. So, a, I was quite well trained. B, B, I'd done two um, uh, research studies, so you know, like a ten thousand or twelve thousand word thesis for the first one, and then twenty thousand word thesis for the next one. So I've been reading loads of research, and the the stuff Paul was was using was the same research, but he had applied it in a way that I hadn't seen anyone apply it before, you know, and, um, and I was, I was reading the best researchers, you know, I was using all the best research I could find, but Paul's was better than the best research. And then I looked at the date on the videos and they were shot in 1995. Man, man. And I'm looking at it going, well, hang on a second. If this information is like five years old to Paul, you know, um, that means first of all, he must've been practicing it for a few years before them to have got to the point where he was confident enough to shoot a video on it. Um, but um, but also now he must be five years ahead of where he was at back then, you know. So um, it turned out he was coming to the UK in 2001. So I booked onto all of his courses, and um, he was, you know, it was awesome in those presentations. It was he was so naturopathic, and and, and what I mean by that, because uh, of course a lot of people wouldn't be that familiar with naturopathy, but naturopathy is essentially natural medicine. So mm-hmm. not, not, nothing too sort of fancy about it. But what they use as a philosophy is the idea that you've got. There's sort of biomechanical elements to the body which need to be maintained, and that's where the osteopathy can fit in or where exercise fits in. Um, then you've got the biochemical side, and so that's where, where you just lost your and, you know, potentially pharmaceuticals as well. But just, that's just, not, just, so that's right, oh. you said, no, that's right. You said you've got your biochemical side, which is 
Yeah, which is essentially the nutrition mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, could be pharmaceutical. That's where they would fit into the biochemistry side. Um, and then you've got the emotional side. Okay, or, or the, the, the psycho-emotional side. So that's obviously your beliefs, your anxieties, your, your emotions, etc. Um, and the idea is that you've got the balance. You've got to have balance between all three. And, and a great example of that is that if – well, actually, when I went to the college originally, I, I never wanted to be a naturopath. I was always interested in osteopathy. And um, so I went to, you know, the three main colleges. Two of them were just pure osteopathy, and the third one was called the British College of Naturopathy and Osteopathy. And uh, I had no intention of going there. But in the interview, the principal was there and he was saying, so, you know, what do you know about naturopathy? And I was saying, well, you know, not not a lot, to be honest. Um, Explain this at all. And um, he said, you know, so if let's say you've had a car crash and you get a whiplash in in that uh, incident, well, you know, you've got a mechanical issue going on in the neck and we may be able to help that by using some, some manual techniques and massage and stretching and mobilization, etc. So he said that's the biomechanical side. But he said, you know, if you haven't got vitamin C in your diet, for example, well, you need vitamin C to rebuild the connective tissues you just damaged. So if you're not eating vitamin C, well, you're not going to be able to repair. So you need the nutritional side. Um, and then he said, you know, and of course, if you've damaged a car, you've hurt someone, you've hurt yourself, there's going to be an emotional side to it as well. So we could address the nutrition and the biomechanics. But if we haven't addressed the emotions, well, then, you know, your aches and pains may remain or you may still feel stressed by the whole incident, etc. So he said, we believe that you should work in all three areas rather than just on the biomechanics. Um, and, uh, you know, when he said that to me, I was like, right, I'm coming here. <laughs> this is, this is, who, who is that again? Th- this is the principal of the college. Um, because I because I've been to the three the three colleges okay. that um, teach osteopathy and, and one of them taught naturopathy as well. Um, but yeah, so so he was uh, the principal of the naturopathic and osteopathic college. Oh, awesome. um, and I instantly just changed direction at that point. I just thought, okay, I've, I've you know this is the one I've got to go to because mm-hmm. um, it just made perfect sense to me. And so when I saw Paul talking in two thousand and one, he was essentially presenting that model. He was say, saying, you know, you can't just work with the biomechanics. You know, he's talking a lot about nutrition and emotions, and I even picked up a little bit of spirituality in there. Um, which you know, you, you asked if if there was any kind of um, uh, trauma in in my history or whatever that led me down this pathway. And my my mum did die when I was thirteen years of age. So I you know I, I think that obviously um, is a, a driver as well that pushes you into a, perhaps more more of a caring profession. Um, and you know you want to help people and and you know try to prevent other people suffering. And so. Also, because of that, I think at quite a young age, I was interested, you know, I was instantly starting to think about, you know, more existential type questions and spiritual type questions and really question religion. And is that right? Or, uh, you know, there are other explanations. So I was reading a lot of the kind of conversations with God type literature and power of now and that kind of thing mm-hmm. right around that time um, because it was all quite new and fresh at that, that that's point. A, that's young to be reading conversation with god that's a i mean yeah. it's a very if anyone hasn't uh, read it that's a good book like that's a good yeah good well trilogy actually i think, I think yeah trilogy, yeah so, yeah that's, that's a young age to be reading that. that's that's well impressive. so i mean I, I wasn't reading it when i was 13 but but by the time i met paul which oh okay was, okay you know sort of 22 23 uh, i was i i think that was roughly when the book came out was mm. was around that sort of late 90s um but but the point being that I could I just picked up in some of the things he was saying. Mm-hmm. I remember at one point him talking about um, how you know if you are 
basically uh, in all kinds of pain and the body starts to, to, to lock down and, and shut down. And he said, and then the spirit is trapped in the body and it will want to fly that, that, that cage that it's in, you know, and, and I, and I, just little things like that, that he was throwing into his presentations. Cause they're very biomechanical and very technical scientific, but he'd throw in a little sentence like that. And you're like, oh, okay, this guy's open to the notion of spirit or soul or, or whatever, you know, there's more perhaps, um, uh, like I say, existential view of working with people. Um, and, uh, and so that attracted me to him as well. I thought, you yeah, know, this guy is, is, you know, really looking at the whole picture. All right, it's awesome, mate. He, he, he really is. I want to get into it. I want to, it's weird you say that as well about the osteopaths there and um, the chiropractors all sort of having their own sort of stables and being, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's all got to work together. I mean, I, I mean, having worked with, because I, I see Warren, because uh, I have a bit of issues with my, I had some plantar fasciitis last year and I knew that it wasn't my foot. I knew there was something else going on, so I was out of line and anything. And he was saying, like, when he adjusted me and stuff, and he was saying, like, we don't like, like Paul doesn't really like chiropractors because. They force the body, and it can mm. cause issues rather than just letting it go. And he said, like, where is they coming from the right sort of perspective in terms of trying to get it? Just some of them, their, their ways of doing it. And um, it's weird because I mean, there's a million ways we can go with this. Man. I want to try and get it because um, there's certain people I want to ask. When you were saying that about wanting to work in sport, though, when I work, work with football, yeah, it's like being a. I, I used to play professional rugby. I still play sport football now, and um, I haven't been in that in that environment. It cracks me. It also cracks me up. Well, half of me makes me laugh. The other half makes me want to cry. When it comes to like, these footballers that are getting these injuries and they're going to these specialists who are just mm. injecting them with whatever yeah. and getting them back. I always think it's we talk about how powerful willpower is because they'll get back on the pitch and they'll play through injury and they get injured again just because they they want to be on the pitch. But I sort of like how much value. I mean, some, for example, like a club like Man City. If they had someone like Paul or yourself, mm. Warren in charge, how much would mm. they save uh, in terms of like having players that are not out injured in time? Mm. Probably money because they had to go and transfer window and buy another player. But like, I mean, they're paying someone three hundred grand a week. It's so, it's so, it's so, it's so weird. Like someone like yourself or whoever else, you'd be paid like mm. you'd pay like a million pound a year easy to keep mm. these players on the pitch. But it's like, but and also how these players that. They're all caught up in the bling and the lifestyle and all that. Yeah. And they keep getting these recurring injuries and they can still perform at a high level. It's half of me is like, how good could you be if you actually got into this? And also, how many in- less injuries would they have? And there's so many different, so that's like a spider web. But you look at it and yeah. it's all, it's also, um, it's also instant gratification now, how we look and stuff. But there's so much that you could do. And especially when they're paying these managers big sums of money to have someone and, and, one yeah. of the clips that I saw a couple of years ago from Atletico uh, Madrid, some of the stuff that they were doing, it was just like, oh my God, and these guys have been in the Champions League final for three years. So I'm thinking, yeah. imagine if they had someone who was half decent. That's right, I know it's, quite, it's, quite, yeah. a long, it's quite a long yeah. question, but you know, you know where I'm going. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing it's, to me. Uh, it is, it is. Um, I mean, one of the things that actually struck me when I first did the Czech training was that Paul said that his experience, and he, he had worked at that stage so not to cast aspersions on any of these clubs, but he, he worked with the Chicago Bulls and he worked with the Dallas Cowboys. He worked with the All Blacks. He worked with um, the Canberra Raiders, various mm-hmm. rugby teams in, in the Southern Hemisphere. Top, these, are top, um, these are top end teams, people that don't know. Yeah, he like yeah. top end teams. Yeah. yeah. And he was saying that the guys that get there to the very top, like the Jordans of this world, because Jordan was obviously at the Chicago Bulls when, uh, when, when Paul was there. Um, he said they get there despite of their training, not because of it. Mm. 
Um, and I thought, wow, that's really interesting because that, you know, as I was starting to understand more and more about the body through my own studies, but also especially through the studies with Paul, um, I really started to see that that was absolutely the case. You know, they were getting there despite of what these people were putting them through, not because of it. Um, and um, so I think in terms of, you know, what you could save a club, um, obviously that's it's, it's big speculation. You no, know. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Can't, can't say for sure. But what I noticed, because I did, I did work with Chelsea Football Club for for a while in terms of um, consulting for them, and, um, and how did that go? I, I, I wanted to ask that, but how did that go? Was it a bit? It was it was great on some levels and difficult on other levels. So um, I had um, players brought out to my clinic initially, and that was fine. That was great. Um, I, I knew the strength conditioning coach there, and he brought players out to, to my clinic, which is a couple of miles down the road from their training ground. So so that was my initial experience, and that was all good. Um, they followed the advice. The players themselves were very into any help they could get. Right. Uh, and it's the, other, also, it's the other coaching staff. that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was really interesting, actually, because it was like uh, the reverse of what you might expect. So, you know, when I met Jose Mourinho, he was super, super chilled, super relaxed, really friendly. Come and make yourself at home. You know, you're welcome here, etc., etc. The players were all, you know, really welcoming, really friendly. Some of them a little bit had an edge to them if you weren't working with them because, you know, they kind of just see some random bloke sat there. They don't know who it is. So they just kind of ignore you a bit. But the ones you're working with you know, they're, they're genuinely looking up to you as, you know, do you think you can help me? Um, and then, of course, the physios and the medical staff in general, they're not happy that you're there at all because you're in, because essentially they're not getting the player better, right? So so straight away you're onto a loser in terms of relationship with, with the other medical staff. Um, and they had kind of, you know, much bigger uh, acts to grind, I suppose, and, and egos in a way than the players seem to have. I can imagine. And then the security staff were the worst. You know, they thought they were the most important people there. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. But um, but no, so the, um, I suppose, what my experience of working there was that, um, you know, it, I, I was essentially being asked to go in as an osteopath. And they knew that I'd done some other training as well, but they didn't really know too much about it. Um so I go in and I assess someone's, let's say one of the guys had a hamstring strain and it was the Champions League final, sorry, semi-final two days later. And they're saying, well, you know, what can you do to help? And so I said, okay, well, you know, I'll take a look at him. So I did, did some assessments. And, um, you know, what I found was that he, um, first of all, had very weak lower abdominals. And the hamstrings work in conjunction with the lower abdominals. If you think of the pelvis in the middle here and, you know, the, the abs on one side and the hamstrings on the other, they're going to tilt the pelvis back, backwards when they work together. And so if the abs aren't doing their job, because that he, you know, he was essentially, like I say, about 60, 70% of optimal strength, which for a professional athlete and an international level athlete, that's, that's not good, right? Uh, but he keeps, he kept getting hamstring strain. So no real surprise because his hamstrings are trying to not only propel him forwards and help him to sprint, but they're trying to stabilize the pelvis because the abs aren't doing it. Trying to think who this is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Um, <laughs> I have to obviously. I know, of course, of course you do. Of course you do. I'm just, I'm trying to think in uh, my head. I'm trying to think semi-final yeah. Champions League. No, 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 I, but, um, but I can 100. I can 100 percent say it's like a lot of pain. Yeah, a lot of pain gets referred to the back or from the hamstrings from the front. For example, this is you're saying there. Like if you're, it's like your transverse abdominals. People get a lot of back issues, but if your if your abs aren't firing or your abdominal transverse abdominals not firing, uh, what picks up the slack? Your back and and what can turn those transverse? A million one things, but obviously if you're eating food that inflames your gut and switches off your abdominals, 
back issues come and, and so yeah as you were saying he had 60-70% of, of strength in the abdominals yeah yeah and um, and so you know I noticed that he was a little bit um, like sneezy and uh, it, was, it was summertime sort of going into summertime and um, and I was saying to him uh, do, you know, do you get hay fever and he was like yeah yeah I, I do you know whenever the pollen's high I get hay fever I said oh, okay okay so do you um, do you notice if you react to any foods at all um, he's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, do, do any foods make you more sneezy? And he said, well, yeah, when I have beer, straight away I start sneezing. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Have you noticed any other effects from, booze, from foods? And he was like, well, yeah, I do get a bit bloated after I've had beer. I said, okay. And do you get bloating from anything else that you eat? So yeah, whenever I have bread, I bloat like crazy. And actually sometimes with pasta as well. I said, okay, well, that sounds like, you know, probably there's something in the food that you're eating there. And it could be gluten. It might be something else. But gluten is quite a common one that could be causing inflammation in in the gut aren't as strong as they should be. Information okay. in the gut, yeah, information <laughs> uh, in the gut. Okay, and, uh, and so that's possibly what's inhibiting the lower abdominals um, because the, um, the nerve supply from the, the lower digestive tract is at the same level as the nerve supply for the lower abdominals. So, um, you know, when you get these sensory drives going back into the spinal cord saying there's inflammation in here, then it creates sensitization at the cord, which then inhibits the abdominal muscles and particularly the low threshold muscles, which are the stabilizer muscles like the transversus abdominis. Okay. So anyway, um, you know, I explained all of this to him and, you know, sent a report to the team doctor and uh, to the physio. And I got uh, a response saying, you know, Matt, nutrition is not your area. You're the osteopath. I got you in for an opinion on the hamstring. You can't have professional sports people on gluten-free diets it's a miserable diet and besides which no one has gluten intolerance anyway it's an extremely rare condition and you need to stay within your own field right <laughs> that's 2005 okay really um, 2005 yeah that's yeah. not that long ago i mean i was going to say to you uh, warren had exactly the same thing with kieran richardson yeah 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 um and so you know then Later in my career, I got involved with distributing even five fingers footwear, um, which you know maybe I'll, we'll move on to later. But but as part of that, um, we were involved with various sports people, and um, James, um, oh, what's his surname? Uh, James Haskell, the, mm -hmm. the rugby player, loved mm -hmm. them, and um, so did the strength coach that was at Wasps at the time. So they got us into uh, you know hand some out to the first team and you know give some to the the, res the reserves as well and so on and. Um, Anyway, we went to the canteen there and um, they said, you know, what do you want for lunch? And I said, well, what, what have you got? And they said, well, look, it's all gluten-free. It's all kind of paleo style. And, and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Why do you go gluten-free? Oh, well, because it causes inflammation in the gut. And I'm like, oh, well, that's really interesting. That I think that was 2013. So, you know, sort of eight years later, it's mainstream enough. Rugby is a bit more progressive than football, though, as well. Having been there... Haven't been in it, like, as you probably know. I don't know if it's been dropped to you, but I know what you mean that like, eight years is is enough. But rugby, having been like, having been in it, like football is a bit like boxing. We've done it, we've always done it this way, so we do it this way. Until yeah. recently, they've started to get a bit better with it. But yeah. rugby, they had they had um, like when, when Woodward started to take over things. You know, it started yeah. to get a yeah. bit better then. And then I think, yeah, it does. I mean, you're talking about top level athletes. I mean, some of them. They're all going to probably have a beer every now and again, but yeah. if they're eating bread, pasta all the time, mm. 
Mm. And mm. I was about to say, rugby, rugby guys who have been in that situation, they're a little bit less bling than footballers in terms yeah. of, like, if you give them a pair of bib and five fingers, they'd probably be like, okay, we give footballers that, they'd probably like, be like, what yeah. the... This, yeah, like, yeah, 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 that's right, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So, so they had like quite a lot of paleo foods, and this was at wasps. That was at wasps, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, that's just an example, but obviously, there's been other sort of high profile cases. I think Andy Murray's uh, gluten free, and there's various people who, you know, suddenly in the, the spotlight over the last five, six yeah. years, Djokovic as well, I think, Djokovic yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's big, big issues. I mean, and it used, I mean, you probably see it quite a lot. I mean, a lot of people always talk about. I've had lots of people who talk about gluten and wheat and stuff. And, it, mm. and nowadays, it's not just the gluten and wheat; it's glyphosate they spray over it, and all the other yeah. things that come with it. And so, when people, well, but this is the thing when they're saying that, that's the thing. The report you got from Chelsea, yeah, it's like, what do you care about more? Your ego, mm. yeah, is in terms of you're telling someone not to do things wrong, or the player's well-being, yeah, and. And the reality is, is that it tends to be more the ego because, you know, not, not to, again, not to cast suspicions on any individual, but when you look at the situation those individuals are in, they're in a very precarious job um, and they're paid really well for it. I mean, even back then, the, the team doctor and the team physio, first team physio, were on, I think, 350 and 300,000 respectively. Um, so, you know, for anyone in that kind of line of work, that's, that's a good salary yeah. <laughs> for anyone. Yeah. Um, but, but the point is that... Um, they're on that high salary because at any moment a new manager, you know, the manager may get sacked. Let's say, you know, the first four games of the season, they, they, Chelsea lose every game. Well, the manager may get sacked at somewhere like Chelsea that quickly, which means that normally the new manager will bring in his whole medical team and his training staff and his strength and conditioning coach. So, you know, you, you could only be there for four weeks. That, that doesn't always happen. You know, in a lot of clubs, they'll try and create some continue, continuity between the different mm-hmm. um, outfits that come in, as it were. But um, but it is quite precarious. So I think, you know, everyone's on tenterhooks. And if it's or might be treading on someone else's toes, then it's it's uh, it's frowned upon. And um, and the, the, the other thing with it is that you've got specialisms all the way around the team. You know, so you've got the nutritionist, you've got the podiatrist, you've got the dentist, you've got the, you know, and, and the list just goes on and on and on. They'd be better off having four check practitioners. Well... I, I, I actually proposed to the doctor that, you know, I, I felt that the way that I was being used at the club was, you know, potentially um, not combative, but, but um, you know, it, it, it was going to irritate the other people course, because yeah. that's the way I work is that, I, you know, I, I, I'm not going to not talk about nutrition. I'm not going to not talk about feet or about TMJs or, or whatever it might be, because if I see there's a problem there, well, I'm going to say, well, this could be driving this, which could be affecting that. You know, that's that's an analytic approach. Um, but, you know, if be going forwards, it would be better if I was working alongside you. So we're kind of the decision makers and we say, ah, this person has an issue with their jaw and with their feet and with their, their gut. Let's refer to this person and that person and that person. Um, but it didn't ever transpire. So, uh, so yeah. But I, th- I think it would I think it'd be the best way. For someone who works holistically, I think they would need to be the hub and they need to have the team of specialists around them. I, I guess, think if you go in as part of the Oh, the yeah, team, no, yeah. You just, you're just starting to a losing streak before you even hmm. started because you're like going there. And, people, and these people, obviously, they think that they know the best they've done four or five degrees and I'm like it's amazing so I was watching that Man City programme last night I hadn't watched it to begin with I just wanted to have a look and listen to some of the things that they've got these guys doing it's like and I'm just 
cringing and like mm-hmm. and gritty teeth. And like, I, I, I was just like, I can't wait for something. I, as an Arsenal fan, I'd be like, right, we haven't got the best squad at the moment. I have to get in four or five Czech professionals or people like ourselves to sort this out. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, how much talent could we get out of this squad and how much better would they be with a team of proper health professionals around telling you what water you should be drinking, mm-hmm. what food you should be eating, what things you should be doing to rest and recover. Um, you know, not, not having these terrible protein shakes full of mm-hmm. fillers, binders, inflammatory, all these things. Like, mm-hmm. A million one things they're doing, making sure they're not going to terrible restaurants out to eat. I mean, you say that if you're going to there's other places you can go you haven't got to be going and having Nando's to get it for free you know things like that mm, like, mm. you know and it's all these things I think how much how much better could we get a, a team and it's yeah. just like when someone gets that right I think mm. it's going to be I mean you see it uh, you see you see some things happening you see some things change and it's like for example Liverpool the way that I don't, I'm going to football with people that don't know yeah. about football I apologise but for example Liverpool have got a, a manager who likes to play a very very high tempo fast pressing game where the players are literally on all, the whole time you think after about 70 minutes they break down and I just think I wonder yeah. how much more you get out of them if because I yeah. know people know these guys and they know what they eat and know how they live yeah. and generally it's yeah. you know you're paying so, and you said the other thing you said the doctors get paid quite a lot yeah. um, but the people below them some mm. of them get paid pittance because they try yeah. to get the cheapest pe- pe- person in, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's so they true. They get like thirty-five grand a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, well, and the other the other thing that I found interesting is that not just that the doctor was paid paid well, but that compared to the playing staff, is paid a pittance. Yeah, exactly. So you got so at that time, I think Jose Mourinho was on about four and a half million, something like that. So you've got you know like three three hundred three three fifty um, k. For the doctor, and you got four million for for the manager, and you can see that that makes sense in some ways. But in other ways, here's an example of the power imbalance. I, I went out and I worked with a couple of the first teamers, and I went out to watch them train. And so I'm watching them warm up, and um, one of them had clearly very tight hamstrings, and his his quads actually needed development. And the other one was the other way around. His quads were really tight, and his hamstrings needed development. And um, I'm watching them stretch, and they're both stretching their hamstrings, and they're both stretching their quads. And I'm just thinking, well, hang on, you shouldn't be stretching your quads because they're already too shut down and switched off. And then you shouldn't be stretching your hamstrings because they're too shut down. You know, we really need personalized programs for these guys because, you know, they're, they're, at that stage, they're on about 90, 100 grand a week. And you think, come on, if someone's like a professional athlete being paid that much. At the very least, they should have a, a customized stretching program and a customized exercise program. And um, so I kind of, you know, went back and mentioned to the doctor, you know, I think, uh, can't, can't we give them personalized stretch programs? He said, ah, oh, well, Matthew, you know, it's a, it's a team sport and they like to all stretch together. And I'm just thinking, what? You know, this is incredible that, um, first of all, that... But they have to play sure they, kind of, Yeah. So I was going to say, yeah. sure they have player-specific drills, though, don't they? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, again, it, this was obviously 13 years ago, and I'm sure things have got more bespoke over, over the last, uh, uh, that, over that time period. But um, I, I did find it quite bizarre. And I, and I said to him, you know, but, you know, we want to try and, pre- these guys are getting injured, and we want to try and prevent their injuries, right? And he's saying, well, you know, we can't tell the playing staff their jobs. And I was saying, but we're the medical staff, and our job is to stop them getting injured. So, you know, what? why aren't we... Advising the playing staff, but I think it's that thing. You know, the playing staff are on four. Or, you know, Jose, head of playing staff, four and a half million, and the team doctor, three hundred thousand. Right. Yeah. So, I just think that there's a big power gap, and so then the doctors are f- afraid to tell 
the manager what's going on and again you know i don't want to say that this is exactly the dynamic that was my perception of the dynamic yeah. um well it doesn't, but, it doesn't take a, 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 a rocket scientist to work it out i mean I was, i've been in that situation a million times and i think like you're getting this all wrong here like, i don't think you understand like the people that keep the players on the pitch if you want the best player i used to look at wilkinson and be like if only someone took charge of what was going on with him he wouldn't have been out for that many years and he kept coming back and doing all these things and making himself even worse when he recovered. Different location, different environment, different energy, all of a sudden he, he could play all the time. It was like shock, you know, it was like, yeah. I just, it just, I need to talk about sports here a lot because we've done it a lot but because for most people out there as well, I was going to say, I mean, you do a lot with the, with the body and a lot with the spine. I've seen you add a, um, how important, um, no, no, what was it? You think you had visceral factors in rehab and in health. Oh, no, no, sorry. No, 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 no. So you had how to spot and re, uh, how to spot and rehab hidden spinal injuries. A lot of, uh, you did a, did a talk on yeah. that, right? I did, I did, yeah. And, and so like, people, people out there, just for normal people out there, I mean, these, the, the amount, well, you've got these professional athletes that have got, they're doing probably, you say they're doing, um, You've got people that are sedentary and people that are doing too much exercise. So maybe the athletes are doing so much that they get they get over uh, um, injuries where it's been like too much use, overuse, for example. Whereas mm-hmm. a lot of people are sedentary, they might get underuse injuries. Mm-hmm. What, what do you see? Because you see athletes, but in, in normal people, or say normal people, and people that have got normal jobs, what sort of things do you see, or what are the, the hidden uh, spinal injuries or signals you see? Sure, sure. Well, first of all. Um I think it's important to be aware that if you were to MRI scan any hundred people out of the population, you'd find that a high percentage of them would have, uh, let's say, well, they'd have disc injuries and they'd have uh, little fractures in the spine called spondylolysis, which is um, something that actually you get in in, um, sports where there's a lot of hyperextension, like like, uh, fast bowling in cricket or gymnastics and so on. Uh, Also in football as well, I imagine in rugby. Anywhere you're going to get like hyperextension loads, um, then you'll find that there'll be an incidence, a level of of fracture to um, what's called the pars intraarticularis in in the spine. So it's just like a stress fracture that that can be problematic, of course, but in some instances it's not. And it's the same with disc injuries. Disc injuries, you, you know, you may have some disc injuries in your back right now and have no pain and same with me. Um, uh, and so then the question is, well, is that really an injury or is it actually, um, you know, just a normal part of aging? And that's, that's kind of where people are holding a lot of discussions at the moment. Is it like some people say, well, a disc injury is like getting gray hair. It's just a normal part of aging. And, um, I would say that that's, um, probably, an oversimplistic and and perhaps an overly optimistic view because the disc is a weight bearing structure. So um, and I would liken the disc to a tire in a car. And of course, if a tire starts to bulge, which is essentially what these scans are showing that most people have disc bulges, then that's like having a bulge in the tire. Okay, now that bulge may not be imminently about to cause you a problem. And it may last forever with a bulge in it, right? And never give you any symptoms. But it's still something that is suboptimal in terms of load transfer. Um, and we can test for this um, to see if it is having any kind of impact on the performance of the individual using various clinical assessments and, and tools. I mean, so obviously an MRI scan is one, but you can do stuff that's more low tech than that in the clinic room, which is one of the things that we teach on, on the check training. So that's what I was alluding to with that, that mm-hmm. comment. Um, but... The point is, is that a lot of people are walking around or running around with suboptimal function because 
let's say they may have a disc bulge or something like that. And if the person who's assessing them knows what to look for, then they can identify that and they can remedy it. Okay. Um, and, you know, another example of, of something that I show in some of my slide presentations is there's a, I've got a picture of a guy who has striations across his back, which not, not the kind of striations that you get when you're really low body fat. Right, and it's yeah. kind of like, a, yeah, it's more like a, a crease across the back. And that's an indication that there's a, a slippage between the vertebrae. So one, one vertebrae is just slipping slightly forwards on the other. And, oh, um, I see what you mean. So it's having like a ripple effect down the spine. Yeah. 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 So the skin essentially is, you know, is, is, is showing a, a little crease across it. Um, and, and normally that just occurs at one or two segments in the spine um, if, if there's any instability there. Um, and so I've got this picture of this guy, and it's, it's actually um, from an article in Men's Health saying this guy, you know, I think it's something like three weeks to your model body or something like mm. that, you know. Um, and I'm looking at this body thinking, well, that's a body that's really not in good shape. I mean, it looks good. It, aesthetically, it looks good if you don't know what you're looking at. But I, I can see a big striation there, which suggests that that guy is going to get injured, right? <laughs> um, and uh, so I thought that's a great picture. I'll, I'll take a scan of that and I'll show it to my classes. So I put it in my presentations. This was around 2003. And um, in 2006, I was delivering a class um, and I showed the picture and explained it. So this is what Australia looks like. And um, one of the guys in the class said, oh, that's, that's Owen McGibbon. And I looked at it and I thought, well, I wonder how he can tell that because this guy's got his back to us. Um, and then I saw Owen McGibbon written down below it um, amongst the text. And I said, oh, well, yeah, maybe it is Omer Gibbon, but I think, he, I think Omer Gibbon's the, the writer. And he said, no, no, that is Omer Gibbon. I, I um, have his autobiography because he's an ex-professional uh, beach volleyball player. Oh. I said, oh, okay, okay, interesting. So, I said, yeah, but he had to give up. Yeah, yeah, so lots of extension, right, and jumping. Um, but he said, but he had to give up because he got a spondylolisthesis, which is a proper slippage of one vertebrae on top of the other. And he had to have surgery for it. And that was the end of his career. And I'm like, oh, wow. So, you know, if I got hold of him. In two, got I don't so, want to say I could definitely have prevented it. So let's just say if you got hold of him in 2000 2003, you know, when yeah, he had that photo yeah. shoot and was uninjured, you could probably have prevented it. Right. Uh, you could probably have prevented it progressing to a surgical condition. And, um, you know, of course, you can't say I definitely could have done it. But, but the likelihood is if you did everything right and he took it all seriously, he could have prevented the surgery and his career might have lasted another five, ten years, you know. Um, but as it was, no one spotted it. They just thought it looked good. You know, he looked ripped. But and uh, This is the problem. I have a lot of the things. I mean, Paul said before, he's like, he's rehab back world champions in motocross and other things that have been seen to all the surgeons and no one's. And he's there giving these surgeons lectures. They understand how he's gotten back and he's doing things they're not. And obviously you guys doing it. And, you know, this is one of the things. He had an interview with the guys at Mind Pump and they're talking about CrossFit. And he was saying, look, I've got nothing against CrossFit. It's, it'd be like having, having something against a knife. You know, I've got nothing against a knife, but before you start juggling knives, maybe you should start juggling oranges. You know, you're saying like yeah. people go into CrossFit and most of these people have been sedentary for ages. They haven't got the structure or the patterns to be recruiting properly. You put them in a CrossFit and all of a sudden you wonder why three months later you, you've got an issue with whatever's going on, mm. your back, your spine, your hamstrings, whatever. And the same, there's a lot of gyms out there that talk about body composition and they get these people really lean, but mm. there's, there's lots of other things going on with their structure. Or yeah. as you said, you look at someone and go, oh, yeah, he's ripped. Yeah, but he looks ill. Like yeah. the yeah. eyes, the face, yeah. the, got any sight. Yeah, the hormonal system. The hormonal system, everything's <laughs> yeah. going on. And you're thinking, 
well, is the juice really worth the squeeze? Yeah, you look great yeah. for what two, two, a week or two uh, yeah. until you get back into normal patterns. And this is a bias all about holistics, all about longevity, about how to play and, and doing so. And so, with someone like that, that's like an athlete. That's like an yeah. athlete who's who's seen those who's been obviously extending quite a lot for for for, yeah. for the general public. Do you, would you see maybe something reverse, like the C shape, quite a lot? Um, oh yeah, yeah. Head forward, and I mean head, neck, your atlas, your spine, then your teeth. I mean, all these are massive for your health, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in some ways, um, there are differences between you know athletes, uh, elite athletes, and, and the general population. But in other ways, uh, you know, one of the things that Paul always taught was that um, everyone's an athlete, and right. so we just got to train them for their athletic environment. So. If what you and I do is to sit here all day long and do podcasts or type on our computers or whatever it is, we've still got an athletic requirement to meet gravity, right? And if we, if we, if you and I had just been up in space for three months and we're trying to do this now, we'd both be absolutely exhausted and probably need to lay down, right? Because we haven't had the athletic conditioning for a gravitational field. Mm-hmm. But you see a lot of people let their bodies get more and more deconditioned even within the gravitational field. So to effectively hold yourself up in a gravitational field, you need to be conditioned for that. And most people can't do that. And you see that because they slump and they have the forward head and they have the, you know, the neck pain and the back pain. Um, and so it's just some simple exercises and stretches can be enough to really make them feel better, make them feel. And, you know, one of the interesting things about posture at the moment is that it's quite, um, there's quite a lot of controversy around it because a lot of the kind of high-end research psychological i was going to say psychological stuff um well that's where i was going with it actually was that you know a lot of the high-end research is saying that posture doesn't matter it doesn't or it doesn't correlate with pain let's say is really what they're saying um which is counter to the way we've thought about posture for many many years and there's some research to support that so um i wouldn't say that that's um, completely wrong. I think it's less important than we once thought. And the idea that um, you have to stand up perfectly straight to um, prevent posture can be as damaging as the idea that, um, you know, we don't have to worry about posture at all. So so the, the point being that if you think you have to be upright and rigid the whole time, and you have to bend with a straight back the whole time and, you know, all this kind of thing, then you end up essentially mummifying the body, which is something mm. that Paul has always taught about that, you know, the idea of a neutral spine is just a skill that you should be able to have, not not a way of living. You know, absolutely, you need to bend the spine and move the spine in all directions. Um, and, I, and I use the analogy that it's like um, being on a tennis court, right? A neutral spinal position is like being in the middle of the tennis court. And that's the position from which you have the best chance of winning the match, right? If you keep going over to the right-hand side of the court, well, sooner or later, your opponent's going to suss onto that and is going to keep hitting it to the left side, right? So you're going to lose the match. And if you keep standing too far back, which would be like extension, well, then they're going to start drop shotting. And if you go too far right up to the, the net, they're going to start lobbing you, right? So the idea is that, but so you want to be able to move around the court. That's, you know, the spine wants to be able to move in all directions, but it wants to return to the middle the whole time. And the problem is, is a lot of people are not returning to the middle. They're returning to quite often a slumped position. And so that's like they're at the front of the court. So it's an imbalance. And ultimately, across a period of time, you get found out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so I think that's where, uh, if you like, a more dynamic version of the idea of good posture comes in. And so, you know, for, for people, you know, you were saying about the contrast between elite athletes and, um, and uh, the general public. Um, I think it's important that we don't get too caught up 
with with posture, but that we do uh, it's, it's useful to know what good posture is and to move towards that and to be strong in that good postural position. Um, but the other thing you, you you were saying, you know, you sort of pointed to your head and said, is there a psychological component? Well, yeah, this is the one of the things that's being overlooked at the moment is that you know posture obviously reflects the way you, you feel. Um, what's your posture um, on something or what's your stance on something? Then that's that's a literal version of of saying, well, what's your attitude? You know, what what where do you stand, or how, how do you stand with this this uh, decision, right? And and we do we either feel deflated by certain things or we feel elated by certain things, um, or you know, we go into a room and we look commanding and people listen to us, or we go into a room looking shy and intimidated and people don't really want to know, right? So it impacts your social engagement with with others it impacts the way you feel about yourself the way others feel about you and that all is reflected back into you but in, in, into how you feel whether you're more of an anxious person or a depressed person or you know an angry person it, it's all going to come through in your posture right so to think that posture doesn't have an effect on back pain uh kind of shows a very limited view of what you think posture is. <laughs> um, so, but, but that comes back to linking it all up again, right? Because you said, yeah, yeah. Because like, if you're, you said before, you're, I don't see many people that are positive walking around like slumped or yeah, yeah. people with like an outlook or healthy that they're, they're quite up there that they're seeing the world yeah. and not good that it's people that hide away or if you don't want to be seen or I don't know or whatever, yeah, you, yeah. you know, you don't really see that in that sort of thing. You don't, you don't see you don't see people that, um, or you see depressed people generally with a slumped or a bad posture. If you're yeah. happy or you're outgoing, it's all reflected in, yeah. in how you stand, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Have you um, have you heard of Jordan Peterson? About to say, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. He talks about stand up with your shoulders back, right? Stand up with your shoulders back, and he and he relates it back to to the lobster, you know, and and not because lobsters are particularly closely related to us, but actually because they're not closely related to us, and that we diverged from them 350 million years ago. So he's making the point that the the system that the lobster uses, which is a serotonin-based system, just like ours, so we know that when we're depressed, we have low serotonin, okay, which of course links back to bad gut health in many instances. So if your gut's not right, then you get low serotonin production. So then that can lead on to depression. We know that depression is linked with pain, right? And we also know that depression is linked with posture. We know that when you have depression, you're more likely to have a stooped posture. There's there's research papers on that. Um, but so Jordan Peterson's point is that, you know, it's 350 million years old. Mm which just shows how deeply ingrained it is into our system. And, the, and the, the lobster, when he loses his fight, he shrinks down and goes into that introverted posture. When he wins the fight, he puffs up and goes out into that victorious, yeah. you know, I, I'm the, the boss lobster around here But that's posture. But like, that's like if you're playing sport or you do anything good in life, you feel like, boom, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, here I am. Yeah. Like, uh, and he said that that lobster, if he gets beaten, will never even try to attempt to beat the other lo- the, the high lobster again because he's, he's, there was a serotonin have been so, like his, his thoughts around things have been completely destroyed. And, and that happens with us a lot in terms of, you go out people where they try something and they get knocked back and, Obviously, that get what gets wired together gets fired together, so you don't try it and do it again. But yeah. as a human, you need to understand that's just a lesson. It's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, same as businessmen. If you gave yeah. up the first time you failed, you'd never, you wouldn't be here, you know. And so, so, um, so. but the other thing with Pete, John Peterson, as you said about the diet affecting it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to because I wanted to go. We're going. I'm going to go down that road anyway. But just quickly, uh, he and his daughter have been doing a carnivore diet. 
That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and because people out there, I maybe mean, I talk about this a lot on, on how veganism is becoming like a religion. And yes. You get a lot of, and, and oh, this nutritionist, I, she wrote something, um, that, it's a Harley Street nutritionist, can't remember her name, 100,000 followers on Instagram. I was just like, oh my God. She's yeah. written this post, because uh, she's written this post basically, just, um, one word, word, debunking the carnivore diet, saying that McKay, uh, Jordan Peterson's daughter, Michaela, I think her name is, is completely wrong and anything like that. And and yeah. and basically, Michaela was like, you don't know my story. You haven't seen what I've been through. This diet's worked yeah, yeah. for me. I've got no depression anymore, no anxiety. My knee pain's completely gone. My hip pain's completely gone. I've had all these yeah. things. And this high-strict nutrition is one of the other things where I say, be careful about who you follow. 100,000. And she's got, oh, I'm eating my breakfast today. Banana um, on gluten-free bread or whatever yeah. she else is yeah. having. And she's having all these, all these stuff that I'm like, how can you even call yourself a nutritionist? Yeah, like, yeah. like maybe maybe twenty years ago that was that was good. Anyway, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so it was just it's laughable. And I was like, and she, the other thing she said, I was talking about HDL versus LDL cholesterol yeah. and how it's good and how it's bad. And I was like, novice, you're, yeah, like, yeah. you're about twenty five years behind here, mate. Like, yeah. And you got a hundred thousand followers, so you got to be careful with that. And talking to the general public, but yeah, yeah, it was very interesting. I want your take on it. You probably sit somewhere where I do, but your take on the carnivore diet, sort of, like if it's working for you and it's stopping all your pain, mm. then mm. how can you how can you say no to someone? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, my my take on it is that well, first up, I haven't read a lot about it, so you know, I, I can't sort of speak with any great authority on it. And I think you know, even Jordan Peterson says says oh, the yeah, same thing himself yeah. because he's not a nutritionist, but but he's saying this is my experience, this is my daughter's experience, and it was fascinating to hear him talk about it um, because uh, you know he was saying things like you know you don't it turns out you don't need vitamin C if you're eating meat only, you only need vitamin C if you're eating carbs. And I thought, well, I, I don't quite understand the physiology behind that but i'd like to look into it um but what i think is that you know we're highly adapted to be able to um eat multiple different food sources and the biggest challenge for us tends to be certain foods are more pro-inflammatory or, or allergenic than others um certain foods have less lectin content um just just lost your Oh, okay. So certain certain foods have um, high lectin contents. So uh, if you look at it, nothing really wants to be eaten. So a plant doesn't really want to be eaten and an animal doesn't really want to be eaten. So if you want to eat an animal, you better be faster than it or stronger than it or smarter than it. Right. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it, if it gets caught, it will try and bite and scratch and fight back because it doesn't want to be eaten. So that's the danger of hunting an animal. But plants don't want to be eaten either and they produce various toxins which are called lectins or what well, that's one of the classes of toxins which um essentially is like a biochemical warfare so it starts to attack your gut it starts to attack your blood and the, the most famous example of this is kidney beans so you know if you were to buy kidney beans and not cook them like the the, the um dry ones you know um probably and your blood would agglutinate and uh, certainly be you'd be very very unwell um so most people have heard of that before, that you really need to soak kidney beans or cook kidney beans um, and not to ever eat them raw because they're toxic. But that's the lectins. So, But all plants have lectins, and some have higher levels of lectins uh, than others. And so you know, it makes sense that if, you, if you're getting um, uh, an inflammatory condition like um, – is it Michaela? Um, I think it's Michaela. Yeah, Michaela yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Jordan got, got it as well with, yeah, with, with well. His, his depression and yeah. uh, anxiety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Massive, yeah. yeah. 
it makes you know it makes sense that by removing the plants from the diet that it would help reduce inflammation in the gut because this is one of the things that lectins do is they damage the microvilli in the guts um and uh and thereby initiate an inflammatory response but so um that's one side to it i mean uh, another side to it is that most of us that live um in a more temperate zone uh, as we do we're probably quite highly adapted for eating meats because if you were to go out in the winter time in without you know without shops or anything um you know so just go back three, four hundred years, then really the main thing you're going to be eating during the winter is going to be animals. You know, there's not much that nature provides in the UK during the winter, um, maybe some nuts. Um, but it's essentially it's going to be very high fat, high meat diet. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully you might have got uh, something stored or you might dig up a tuber or something here and there. But realistically, it's going to be primarily meats. That's what nature provides. And so I think um, we're very well adapted for eating meats from that perspective, from a, temp- uh, uh, a climate or, or temperate kind of um, perspective for, for people that are from those zones. Now, people that are from more uh, tropical zones, maybe not as much. I don't know. But... But the thing is, is that, again, if you go back about 2.2 million years, that was the point where there's convergent evidence, which means, you know, evidence from lots of different sources all pointing to the same thing, that our ancestors started to eat a lot of meat, and that was what grew the brain. It's amazing okay. that vegans will, will deny this as well. Well, so it is, it is. And I think if you speak to any serious anthropologist, then they would just say, well, you know, that this, 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 this is this is more of a, a religious kind of, um, or not religious, but uh, it's a belief as opposed to fact. Um, and um, so the, the facts seem to line up to say that our ancestors started to eat meats and meats are what grew the brain. So if you cut meat out of your diet, what effect do you think that's going to have on your brain? So we talk about depression, right? You know, and Jordan Peterson's depression. Well, I don't know if he was vegetarian or vegan, um, but maybe he wasn't eating uh, as much meat as he, he could have done. And maybe that was having an impact on his on his brain biochemistry. I, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, it's... No, 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 I, I, think, I think you're right. I was talking to someone else, and I see that the people I see the most rage and the most annoyed all the time seem to be as vegans. Like, and I've got nothing wrong with plant-based food. I really like plant-based food. But whenever I see anyone getting chewed out on internet or anything, it's always seemed to be a lot of vegans in a complete rage. And I'm like... Is this yeah. your blood chemistry, or is it this? You're this much into belief about it, or yeah. the other thing is with it is someone like Michaela Peterson or John Peterson, who's a clinical psychologist with like an IQ yeah. of 174, yeah. and now he's starting to talk about how important diet is even for his yeah. patients and stuff, yeah, and yeah, yeah. about for his depression. But these people before, because of the internet and stuff, someone like him or and his daughter are, are like now able to tell their story, whereas before yes. yeah. 20, 30 years ago, probably wasn't. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. I say, look, we do things that are right for the 80 to 90 percent of people. We sit in the middle. But if yeah. vegan works for you, phenomenal, do it. Mm. If, if eating meat works for you, phenomenal, do it. Until it doesn't, yeah. you can have a look at it. But yeah. don't, I'm, I'm one of the things that, don't just say that like, you get a religious belief, you don't have a dogma about it where you're like, yeah. this can only yeah. work for people, this is that. It's like, no, like, the people in the extremes now, they've got a channel through YouTube and through podcasts. Mm. Mm. But the problem is that it doesn't, streams don't work for everyone, but if they do work for you, in my opinion, go for it. But yeah. Yeah. we try and do what works for the 80 to 90 percent right and yeah. then yeah. or probably the 95 to the it's just like the, the, the very and so if someone's saying to and, and as mckay pitchson says that she says that as, as jordan says i'm not a nutritionist or whatever mm-hmm. and she also says neither would i want to be one 
with the things that these nutritionists are putting out there, with your yeah. research, it's been it's been funded by a big farmer and big agriculture telling you to eat wheat <laughs> and gluten and everything else, and and, and, yeah. and just like and I was like, ooh. Kitty, yeah. Kitty's got claws, but it's true though. It's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it the, is. It is. The other thing. It was interesting. I don't know if you remember when uh, the Atkins diet became a thing, uh, and it was getting a lot of press in the UK. This was probably in the early two thousands, and um, uh, suddenly you had people on appearing on TV, you know, basically saying how dangerous the diet was, how it was going to damage, and. Uh, then I started to notice it was the same guy appearing on all the different channels. Um, so it wasn't like you know very, a mix of independent experts. It was this one guy kept appearing. Um, and then I looked him up, and it turns out he was funded by the British Sugar Bureau and the and the the um, something like Bread Makers UK Association or something like that. So it's the, essentially the the bread the bread industry and the sugar industry. And you're like, wow, that's really fascinating that this this one guy who's funded by these carb based industries is the spokesperson that the bbc and itv and channel 4 and everyone else is using as an expert on whether or not uh you know the atkins diet is safe mm, um yeah yeah but so sometimes you just do have to t- just look a little bit further oh, and then 100%. you see the pans you know i've done it before yeah. with people and that's what they they, they they state this nutritionist whatever and i kick on it and it's like who funded the research or general mills and you're like oh shock uh, and, you know, and people yeah. don't want to do that anymore, but they just take it because it's BBC and they wouldn't lie to us because it's on the news, really. Yeah. The other yeah. thing I wanted to talk to you about when it comes to movement, um, because we've gone down this road and it's interesting how obviously your diet does affect it and et cetera and what you can do. Mm. Um, do you know much about um, Idol Portel? I, I I know of him and I've seen some some video clips and that kind of thing. But I don't I don't know a lot about his history or how he got to where. I know he's at. That. I was yeah. just wondering, like, because you're talking about like you're saying about the spine doesn't need doesn't have to be like completely like in neutral all the yeah. time. And he's yeah. he's talking always about movement. It's about even if it's just like doing things, keeping your body moving, and that's. Like, I think it's like something that and you say people are just in certain patterns, and that's why they get injured. They're not used to doing it. It's when they do actually miss a step or do something, their body goes into a, a movement or somewhere that or, because I think it was Paul who even said. 90 to 95 percent of people have got like a bulging disc ready to go maybe not that high or something like that quite yeah. high yeah. and yeah. just by just doing movements just like rolling moving around just different like, he does like just walk, moving around the floor moving your spine or getting up and getting down and just keeping your body mm-hmm. just yeah just like active yeah mm-hmm. is a big thing just for health in itself yeah, yeah yeah absolutely i you know i agree I, I think this is why in the czech system we've got the four doctors that we talk about so you've got dr quiet dr diet dr happiness and dr movement right and so um one of the the big challenges so i don't know if, if paul talks about that with you but but he developed that from the uh, hip, uh, a concept that hippocrates supposedly came up with which was the three doctors which was dr quiet dr diet and doctor happiness mm-hmm. and he said you know if you're unwell you need to consult one of these three doctors and Paul saw that and was like, well, we need to add a fourth doctor. And he started to develop the idea of doctor movement and and develop the whole model around the four doctors. Um, but, um, yeah, I think I think movement obviously is something that's missing from a lot of people's lives in this day, particularly compared to our, our past. But there is there is potentially a kind of um, an issue with moving too much as well. Mm-hmm. And um, so one of the things that you know, I was thinking of when you were saying that about Edo's approach is that one of the signs and symptoms that we look out for with people that are what we term outer unit dominant. So they're, they're recruiting the outer muscles 
rather than the inner muscles that like we, we mentioned the transversus abdominis the deep fibers of multifidus is another set of um uh fibers within the muscle that um are designed to essentially just hold hold our posture right they, they should be have great endurance and we should just be able to sit still or stand still for a fairly decent amount of time um without twitching around and leaning on things and so when people are constantly you know going this way and then going that way and then leaning forwards and then leaning backwards and then that's a little sign that I would watch out for that they're probably a bit out of unit dominant. They can't, I mean, of course it's, it's not, um, again, you, you can't make a clinical judgment from it, but it's, it's you, a clinical judgment is made by feel, picking feel, up. I feel like I'm being judged here, Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, that's it. <laughs> but you, you make your, um, your best guess. I mean, the diagnosis at any, any sort of level more or less is a best guess, right? So you make your best guess as to what's going on based on composite information. Again, you know, this, this, this idea of, you know, you see perhaps, uh, you know, the bags under someone's eyes and you see that their skin's dehydrated and you see that their tummy's bloated and, and then you see that they're shifting around a lot the whole time and you're like, okay, and they've got low back pain. And so you think, yeah, okay, this could be someone who's using the outer muscles more than the inner muscles and perhaps they're bloated because, you know, those muscles are inhibited. Um, so, so the point is you, you gradually piece the picture together and um, that shifting around. So what Ido is talking about is, is this kind of idea of, of constant movement, more or less. Um, I would say that, you know, there's there's some truth to that. But it's, have you ever heard of, of a power law before? Power law. Uh, power law. No, go for it. Basically, uh, so my understanding of a power law is that it, it um, is actually an economic thing that that was dis- discovered in, in economic circles but um you can apply it to many aspects of human function as well and essentially what it is you've got a you know an x axis and a y axis um you know so sorry y is is the vertical x is the the horizontal and the power law kind of goes down the x axis and then curves across and along the y axis okay. and so what it's saying is it's saying that down towards the the, the y axis the 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 um the vertical axis, if that's, let's say, intensity of exercise, where you want, so intensity is up, up the, the, up the Y, Y, very high intensity exercise, the, the X axis down the bottom is, is the duration you want to do it for. So you want to do it for a real short duration. And there's stuff that's a little bit less intense, you want to do for a slightly longer duration. There's stuff that's even less intense, you want to do for a longer duration. And gradually you get all the way down to the point where essentially you're resting and that you want to do for the longest duration, right? Um, so the point is that you should be relatively still for quite long periods of the day. Um, but you're going to have small micro movements in amongst that, which will be for slightly shorter periods. And then you're going to have, you know, more gross movements like getting up out of your chair and walking around to get a glass of water or whatever it is, which will form a, a longer duration than perhaps going out for a run or going down the gym to lift some weights or mm. playing a game of five-a-side football or whatever. So, so when you look at how the whole system set up, the system is set up. So, so when... Did we lose? That's right, yeah, so when... So, so when you look at the neurology behind that, what you find is that the whole system is set up um, so that you don't stay still for more than about three minutes at a time. Okay. Okay. So if you stay perfectly still there and try not to move at all, 
by the time you get to about three minutes, your nervous system will be screaming at you just to move a little bit, mm-hmm. maybe just back or maybe just to one side or just a little something or just to, 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 to rock a little bit. So whatever it's your nervous system, not your muscles? No, it's the, it's, well, what it is, is it's actually the connective tissues in the joints and, and in, in the system in general that have mechanoreceptors in them, uh, which are essentially receptors for, for mechanical movement. And after a period of stimulus, so let's say we're both slumped in our chairs at the moment, well, that puts a stretch into ligaments in the back of the spine. Well, after a period of, of about three minutes, the mechanoreceptors within those ligaments will be starting to fire into the, the spinal cord to say, we're undergoing stretch now. This is traumatic to us. We need you to, to straighten up. So then we might sit up a little bit straighter and take the stress off of the spine. So that's how the system's set up to work. So you are set up to definitely keep moving, but there are periods where you can be relatively still, like two, three, four minutes, something like that. Um, I think he, he sort of talks about this, like keeping, it's just like different movements so that you don't just like get up, yeah. you're not in a straight line. So he's talking about that suppleness of the spine and just being able to bend mm. and lift and, uh, and squat and just keeping it, it's like use it or lose it. So you're not just getting up in your chair walking because a lot of people then they can't squat, can't bend, they, they, they get because they're just doing the same things all the time. So it's just like keeping that variety of thinking and also Absolutely. keeping like your muscles. But I think in Paul was saying, I think, like even if you think about turning to the right, all the muscles that turn you to the right switch on, right? Yes, yes. So if so if you're not ready for that movement or you can't, then they switch on. Uh, but you can't get to the, you can't actually move there. You may have something happen, or or it'll just use the ones that you use a lot of rather than mm-hmm. the body's very efficient on that, right? It'll switch off muscles it doesn't think it needs to use. Yeah, if yeah. you've got them all switched on, or if, if they've all got the ability to do that, you're going to be in a better place than if well, only 50% of them can actually work properly for their proper function. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, simple ways that you can can do that are you know using the eyes i think you're kind of doing that on the screen there if you look to your right then all the muscles that um would turn you right yeah absolutely will 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 switch on and so essentially um when you've got someone let's say who's who's got an acute injury or who's got just had a surgery or something and they they're not ready to move yet but you can still actually get the muscles firing by using the eyes or using the intention to move, um, which is, of course, is the whole idea behind mental rehearsal as well. You know, why sports people sit down and, you know, run through the game in their heads because actually their, their muscles will be firing, not nearly at the same kind of intensity, but in the same patterns that they would do if they were striking that football or, you know, dropping their shoulder to go around a, a, a you know, a player on the rugby pitch or whatever. And if you, you keep thinking through that, then you're ingraining those patterns and those, that muscle firing sequencing. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's, it's really interesting. And, and like this, you're talking about, about having the internal muscles that most people are talking about the outside, outside muscles, internal muscles sort of working for you. Yeah. Um, how, how can people go about getting those internal muscles working for them? I mean, I know, one of the things uh, we talked about is, you know, you have this this whole sort of like um, system of muscles, internal muscles that we don't really use. That yeah. um, the arterial, I think it's like the, what's the arterial tree? Is it? I'm trying to think what it's yeah, called. Yeah. And yeah. Um, people use cold therapy for that as well, cold mm-hmm. hot therapy, and to stimulate yeah. them because um, we're in such temperature controlled rooms the whole time. That's right. Uh, That's how right. yeah? How how else can you switch them on apart from like things like cold therapy? What other things can you do, or is it just more, more like stabilizing movements, like uh, like working on the Swiss ball and things like that? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, on the arterial or, or the cardiovascular side, I think, you know, most people tend to think of um, going out for a run or going to the gym or whatever, which is, which is good. Um, but uh, as you mentioned, temperature, I think, is something that's overlooked quite a lot. And in nature, um, of course, we, we would massively vasoconstrict, which is to, to shut down on all of our peripheral blood vessels when it gets cold, just to keep the core warm. And then when we went out and moved and, and ran, then of course you vasodilate and you, you get blood to the periphery um, and allow yourself to cool off as you're exercising. So I think that it's really important for us to expose ourselves to cold and to heat um, as regularly as we, as we can. So if it's the summer, then it's good to have cold, get out and um, If it's the winter. If it's, if it's the summer, get outside in the so, sun. If it's the winter. Well, so if it's summer, I, I say it's you know it's really good to to have a cold shower or a oh, cold wow. bath. Perfect, perfect. You know, so you perfect. actually get some get some cold, mm -hmm. and then you know you can get out and you can exercise, and that will warm you up and get you hot. But the point is, is that the the change in temperature requires that your system uh, vasoconstricts and vasodilates, mm -hmm. right? And same in the winter. I think it's really good. You know, when when I see people completely wrapping up in all of their you know all the gear, no idea kind of approach to to training. I sometimes look and I think, well, you know, when you wrap yourself up like that, you're getting no vitamin D at a time of year when you could do with getting as much vitamin D as possible. I, I would get your legs out, get your arms out um, and, and expose yourself to the cold. You know, let your body do what it's supposed to do. Let, let it vasoconstrict. Let it get the vitamin D. That it I think sometimes we're, we're our own worst enemies by by using these um, pseudoscientific kind of approaches to, to – uh, uh, I don't know, just keep, keep in with the next trend, as it were, or, or, or to maintain our creature comforts. You know, the, the, the research that I've seen on these various um, brands of stockings that, that you wear is, is quite, um, uh, let's say, unequivocal is, is the term that's used in research. But it's essentially saying that there's probably not much benefit to it. Are um, in terms of recovery or in terms of keeping you warm? Oh, well, I think, I think there's a bit of both. So now, obviously, there, there's a advantage in terms of keeping you warm if you're standing around. You know, if you're going to be standing around before a race, if you're standing around at, at soccer training, rugby training, whatever it is, and, and you know you're going to have some tactics discussions or whatever, to be there in, um, you know, your shorts when it's blowing a blizzard is probably not a great idea. So I, I'm totally up for using the right conditions, sorry, the right gear in the right conditions. But I do think sometimes we, we over... Um, kind of cushion ourselves oh, yeah, if you people, like. people wearing skins or wearing skin sort of things when it's like september or something like, yeah. well, my mate's wearing gloves in august in september I'm like, what are you doing like, yeah, yeah. it's just it's just baffles yeah. me i know what you mean yeah we become too yeah. i get i get what you're saying yeah and even then like um exposing yourself it's one of the things i find hard is in the winter i try to do cold showers in the winter and it just i don't know it's just really if i'm on a hard day or if i'm somewhere warm one of the first things I do in the morning is I get up and I go straight in the sea and I love to have yeah. five, ten minutes yeah. in the cold sea because uh, I know that the rest of the, that it's quite warm. If it's really cold, I mean, I've probably got to spend some time with Wim Hof, but like if it's really cold, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. I, I, it, it, it doesn't make me feel very good to, to be no. that cold and then to carry on being that cold. You know, it doesn't, yeah, yeah. It doesn't help no, me. I, I, I do agree, but I think you know there's other ways you could do it. So you, you could, for example, you know, go, go out in your shorts and T-shirt but yeah. go, go for a run. Um, so you know that you're going to be cold the first five minutes, but you know that within five minutes you're going to be warm again. Oh, 100%. Uh, so, just, yeah. so you get that vasoconstriction uh, kind of reaction, but then obviously the body has to 
go the other way and go vasodilation, but essentially it's a workout for your blood vessels. So, you know? so because um, I'm about to say, when you play sport in the winter, you always like that. You start off you're cold, yeah. you take and you're fine. So, would so would you say it's better to be cold and uh, and shorten your t-shirts and run into it, or would you have like your warm up gear on and as you get warmer, you take that off? Is it actually better to start being cold? Well, you know, I, th- I think you could you could argue it both ways. Um, you know, the it's a little bit like the argument of whether or not you stretch before you you play sports and um you know then you can use that evolutionary kind of cartoon image of of the uh, person just saying to the saber-toothed tiger just just wait before you chase me i'm just gonna stretch out my hamstrings you know um it 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 doesn't make any sense logically every animal should be ready to go straight into a sprint at any point in time and you don't need to warm up no you you know you should be you should be able to do that as, as an animal right the thing is, is that we use our bodies in, in ways that we didn't really evolve to use them for. So we sit in chairs all day long. So, exactly, yeah. you know, if we if we were to get up out the seat now and go straight into a sprint, we might pull a hamstring, you know. Um, but so... Also, the, foods that are not going to be helping us either. A lot of people are not. So that's another thing, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. So, you know, there's there's lots of lots of um, good rationale for, for whether or not you you know, do or don't warm up. Um, and I think, I think you've got to sort of, um, if you, if you like going to a race and you know, you've got to go fast off the line, they'll say, yeah, you should warm up. Right. If you, but if you're going out for a little trot on your own, I would just say, take it easy, you know, run a little bit when you start to feel a bit stiff and tight, walk for a little bit, then up the pace and go for a bit more of a run. You know, I think we should use our bodies in multiple ways and not be all about, you know, what, one of the, one of the kind of prevailing, ways of looking at exercise is all about goals and you know can we beat our time and can we burn calories so it's all this kind of objective measurement side and we don't get the subjective side which is that we're out in nature and we we get the sun on our face and we hear the birds singing you know we put these sort of headphones in we can't hear anything that's going on um but if you actually enjoy the sense of moving and enjoy the the cool air of winter or the, the heat of the sun on your back in summer or whatever it is i think to, to get more of the subjective experience of it, which is where the whole five fingers thing kind of came in as well, is the idea that, you know, if you can feel the grounds, then you have a relationship with what you're running over. And that's why it's much nicer to go and run in a natural environment when you're barefoot or in a minimalist shoe, because you feel the textures and you feel the contours and, you know, it's it, it's a new dimension to what you're doing. So it's, it's more about the journey than the destination. Have you, have you found them to be very helpful with your clients I mean I've recently got I say recently I got a pair um, about six months ago maybe more I, I really like them I don't think I've run in them but I've run in spikes or I, I mean I run in Germany when I'm running, mm. running in football boots because I'm playing football but I'm trying to think yeah. I've gym in them I know totally I have run them I've done like, little shuttles and stuff but yeah. um, one of the things Warren said to me was get a pair of these because you know if you're in trainers a lot and it puts our feet out of position etc but have you found mm-hmm. this to be very useful yeah yeah really useful yeah yeah i mean useful for me personally useful for a lot of clients um and you know it's not it's not that i specifically would say that you know the brand that i was associated with the five fingers you know are the only ones you should should use i think anything that allows you to feel the ground better is going to be good for you and anything that doesn't alter the strike angle from a natural strike angle so that we're talking about the way the foot strikes the ground here um it's going to be beneficial there's plenty of research that points to the notion that you actually get less impact rather than more impact when you run well barefoot or in a pair of five fingers um but that is quite a big kind of um 
uh, what's the word, uh, proviso, I suppose, that, you know, to run well <laughs> is the key thing. Oh, yeah, and, it's very, I mean, I, I just say one of my first co- the mentors, actually, Ruben Tabaris, he's also, yeah. also a former 400-meter hurdlist for, uh, okay. and, and he took me on the track down Windsor, and yeah. he was like, how have you ever played sport at a high level? He's like, you run. I said, I said, I said I talk to play sport. I thought I had to run like everyone else. And then like, when, yeah. when you learn how to run properly, it's a whole different game to yeah. to just running, right? It's like you got yeah, yeah. You, how you strike, how you move. It's, it is yeah. less it is less probably impact, but uh, yeah. it's hard to learn to start it's with. Hard work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think whenever you change your running style, you become less efficient for a period of time. And then, you know, once you get into the habit of that way of running, then the efficiency starts to come back. Um, but yeah, you know, I think, you know, this is a classic example. A couple of times actually throughout the, the, the discussion, we've, um, we've touched on this and, you know, I think there's a big difference between, um, the evolutionary story, which, you know, of course, if you take the evolutionary view that we're perfectly adapted to run barefoot, then there's a huge amount of sense in that. Right. Um, and that's on one side. I've, I've got an illustration I sometimes use of someone on a tightrope with a with a stick, you know. And on one side of the stick, you've got evolution. On the other side of the stick, you've got essentially your your evolution as an individual. So that's what's called phylogeny is the evolution of species. And then ontogeny is the um, evolution of the individual. So what you and I have done is we've grown up wearing shoes, right? So we are not necessarily exactly, well-developed yeah. for being barefoot. Whereas someone who's grown up never wearing shoes, then they're really well adapted themselves, but also they've got, you know, X million years of evolution supporting that adaptation as well. So we can learn to be barefoot, but we've got to bear in mind that we we are playing catch up, you know. And so to just switch to a pair of five fingers or to, to running barefoot is not necessarily going to be a miracle solution for a lot of people and might injure a lot of people, you know. So... Um, and that's that's one of the reasons why, probably the key reason, is that they're not adapted to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's a, it's a skill. Um, no, it's definitely a skill. But you know, you can apply that to diet as well, and you can apply it to other lifestyle things. That you know, the evolutionary story is quite compelling. But then we've got to look at how we've adapted ourselves as individuals, and you know, where we're at, what stresses we're under, and so on. Um, and then we can hopefully get a, a nice balance point in the middle that is sensible, rather than you know, following off after some, uh, you know, kind of concept, if you see what I mean. Yeah, 100%. No, with yeah. the, with the, because with, the, um, with, with like Idle Portel and like, the, the things, or, the, or even with Paul, like the, if you're doing, for example, if you're doing like a bear crawl, if you're doing lizard crawl, and you've got trainers yeah. on it, it's okay. You try and do lizard crawl or bear crawl on stone when you haven't mm. got any things on, your feet yeah. are in bits after what, even yeah. vibrum. So you say yeah. it's, it's one of those things you have to build up to, um, 100%. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, well, mentioning that as well, you, you know, you were asking earlier about how you activate these more, these deeper muscles in the, in the body. Um, and we talked obviously a bit about the circulatory system, but the deeper muscles, I think one thing that's worth knowing is that to talk of deep and superficial muscles like, like we have done is a, is a simplification. Um, yeah, of course. It's, yeah. it's a general, it's a general guideline. It helps to make something that's quite complex, quite easy to understand that the reality is that every muscle has um, fibers that are more stability based or, or uh, postural based fibers and every muscle has um, fibers that are more fast twitch and more fatigable fibers right um, and so what we want to do what, what we tend to see when people have pain or when they have deconditioning is that it's the 
slower twitch fibers, the postural fibers that get deconditioned. And it's the faster twitch fibers that tend to take over. But the fast twitch fibers are, um, they, have, they have poor endurance. So you get tired quick. This is why, you know, if, you, if you've been in bed for a couple of weeks or you've been on holiday for a couple of weeks and you go out for a run, you feel absolutely knackered because you're using your fast twitch fibers. Um, so you need to recondition those, those slow twitch fibers, which are the deeper fibers typically within any muscle. But the deeper you go in the body, the more you find those fibers. So when we talk about transverse abdominis or multifidus, these are quite deep muscles. So they have quite a high level of those kinds of fibers. And in nature, what switches those muscles on is exactly things like you're just mentioning, things like bear crawls, lizard crawls, and crawling or element type exercises. Those are the kinds of things that switch those muscles on. So, um, so playing around with, with those kinds of exercises is a great way to switch on those deep muscles and muscle fibers. Yeah, it's all about the primal, primal movement patterns. Um, yeah. Uh, um, I know you. We've kept you for probably longer than what what I uh, what we said we would, but it's yeah. me. I can keep on talking to you, but uh, I probably have to. Uh, I let you go because I know you got a busy. You're a busy person. You've got things to do. But we'll definitely yeah. get you back on. Maybe even um, I maybe even drive down and, and come and see you in purpose, person. We can have like, a conversation like that. Cause sometimes it's quite nice if you if you yeah. well, if you do that. And but uh, just for people out there, um, you've obviously got uh, your own clinic. Best place to find you: www.mattwarden.com. Is that correct? That's right. Yep. That's the one. Yeah, yeah Walden with um, double, you know, so Matt and then double T, then Walden with double L E at D E N. Um, Andrew, and sorry, but you also do things online, correct? You can help people online. This is right, yeah. Yep. Perfect. Um, correct. Correct. I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, any any sort of um, any sort of seminars you'll be giving anytime soon. Um, I've got, um, well, I mean, I teach for the Czech Institute, so I'm giving some, some, uh, courses for them, but then I also do, um, various, various webinars, which you can find on my, uh, on my website as well. Um, so, uh, I've got one lined up towards the end of October, um, where we're talking about, uh, mastery, uh, and mastery of, of time, especially, um, which is kind of the, the, the focus of it. Um, so, so yeah, that's the next one. Um, and it's, it's based on a concept that I've developed, um, my thinking around for, for many years, looking at evolution and it's especially the evolution of movement and of consciousness. And so, um, I'm going to be talking about that during that, uh, webinar and how we can apply that clinically and apply it to ourselves and our lives. So awesome. You can, they can yeah. find that on, on mattwarden.com. Yes, yes. Right. I might have to have a look at that myself with time. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting. Matt, it's been awesome. an absolute pleasure to um, to uh, speak to you. I mean, we've got yeah, lots to cover. Much. And there's going to be, I know there's got lots more we can talk about as, as always. But uh, yeah, yeah. thank you very much for coming on and sharing all that with with, the, with our audience. And um, yeah, fun. we'll get you back on in the near-ish future, hopefully. Yeah, great. All right, thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. Cheers, Matt. Cheers. Thank you very much, mate. See you. Bye. Bye-bye. So, guys and girls, that was Matt Walden. I know we had a little uh, couple of issues there with Skype. Um, can't get that ironed out for next time. Sometimes it just happens. And it's almost like someone out there doesn't want us to get this message out to people. Hmm. <laughs> but we um, covered a lot there. Uh, I know we're definitely getting Matt back on. Especially with these people, you know, it's so easy to talk to people like Matt. There's so much to discuss, got so much knowledge. And um, I'm really going to try and get out to these people one-to-one to, 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 to see them in face-to-face. We can get some phenomenal conversations, so much more to discuss, uh, which is always the case. Um, we could probably be there for hours. Um, so 
if you've got any questions about that or, or anything that we've done then uh, don't don't hesitate to email me at ryan at reviveyourself.co uh, obviously as mentioned Matt's website mattwarden.com um, matthewwardencoaching.com um, for him uh, for anyone who wants to work with Matt he's in the uh, Surrey area looking for structural uh, balance or structural assessments but yeah you know lots going on um, as I mentioned before the show our shop will be up soon still got our free four day mini course uh, on www.reviveyourself.co for anyone who is dealing with a chronic health issue and wants to understand the basics of what's going on and anyone who's looking to work with uh, us one to one send us a message uh, or send me a message at ryan at reviveyourself.co or you can do that at www.reviveyourself.co on the contact link um got some you're going to keep putting out some great content lots going on I don't know if any of you saw the post I put out on Facebook I'm going to try and put it on the website about the 5G the meter um, of five, the 5G meter sorry the EMA frequency meter that, that shows you what's going on when when we're passing these lampposts that have got the 5G um, 5G instruments on them they go through the roof this is something that we all really need to pay attention to and come together and fight because this is going to really influence our health it's going to influence our, our children Self and we need to tell the government that we're just not going to have this. Um, it's the, the the if you don't know much about five G, go into our, my episodes with Emma Lane, Dr. Deborah Davis, Jason Christoph. I mean, there's going to get some more people on about that. There's so much going on, and as Emma said, you know these companies are four times bigger than Big Pharma. It shows the power they've got behind them and what they can achieve and what they can hide from us if they want. Um, and as I said before, as I said in the post, you know power uh, tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely and you know these 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 the studies showing how much of a negative effect these this 5g has on us yeah they're all being held back so um <laughs> that's what happens when you've got the money to best do these things so we really need to come together and fight this 5g re- revolution going on we just don't need it there's no need 4g is good enough we don't even need that really um we just need to be able to communicate with each other we don't need to make um, and people say oh it makes him improves the internet yeah um that's great see what it does to your brain uh, see what it does to your cells um, the vibrations what they do to your body uh, how it impacts your health especially the health of a, of, a li- of a little one or a child who hasn't actually got the ability uh, much as much as an adult has to protect themselves from these frequencies um, just in terms of their bone structure alone so that's something we need to look into um, uh, next week guys I think we've got Warren Williams back on the show um, went to see Warren uh, got myself structurally assessed and then we were doing some energetic healing so I really wanted to talk to him about that so that'll be on next week I believe and we've got some other exciting guests coming up Um, as always guys keep doing what you're doing put the message out share the message of natural health to everyone um you know you need to get out of this instant gratification system um system of trying to be plugged into the matrix the whole time go and enjoy nature take some time for yourself to enjoy life um happy being to have some introspection take time to really think about things and just mull things over uh eat well or move well and um as always stay happy stay healthy and i'll speak to you soon bye bye If you're struggling with gut issues, such as gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, indigestion, heartburn, and want to finally be able to eat the foods you love without the crippling after effects, then don't forget to head over to reviveyourself.co and pick up your free copy of The Healing Health Paradigm today.